This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Those of y'all who were with us over the last few weeks, y'all know why we call this series Upside Down or have been tracking the series with us. You'll have kind of been keeping up with the series and why we've called it uh, thus. And if you haven't yet understood why, I would encourage you to go back to our YouTube channel, probably catch up on the previous messages because every one of them is powerful. I feel like Dr. Charity last week brought a powerful message to us. We were watching online, uh, just receiving from God, uh, you know, as, as we took a break as a family, and uh, it was a good refresher, uh, and, and it's good to see you guys again. But today, as we go into chapter number four, there is a powerful message that Paul is trying to convey to us as the church. Uh, we all like a good message on a Sunday morning, right? We all do. We, we want worship. We want to get our worship in, the praise of the Lord's in. We want to get our hands in the air. We want to get all of that going. And then we want to sit down for 30 minutes or 50 minutes in my case sometimes and, uh, and listen to a solid message because the message is what gets us going for the week. Uh, you know, but after the 30-minute mark, we start checking out, right? We, we slowly are like, okay, the, the stomach starts grumbling, and the mind is telling you different things, and temptation starts creeping in, right? And, and we're relieved when we hear the pastor actually say the words, last point, or I'm about to close, right? How many of you are in the same boat with me, right? I'm the pastor now, so it's different. But back when I was in the crowd and I would listen, it would, man, it would bring me so much joy to say, man, I'm about to close my message. And Paul here in this passage starts with saying, finally. And when you hear the word finally from a pastor, you're excited, But here's where it gets bad. It's not really finally because there's a lot more to go. And Paul is kind of just closing like an actual pastor does, right? But we all all know what it really means when a pastor says, I'm about to close. It doesn't mean I'm about to close, right? If you know me, you know that. Uh, He uses words such as before I close. That's the, uh, you know, that's 30-minute warning. That's I have 30 more minutes to go uh, warning. And then he says, I'm about to close, which is a 15-minute warning. And then there's the I'm closing, which is the seven-minute warning, right? There's those three times he closes. A pastor is not a pastor till he closes three times in his message. And you're going to hear that from Paul the pastor too. He's going to close and close and close, but this is his first closing. In his first three chapters, it was the introduction. It was the, I love you all so much. I miss you guys. It was the lovey-dovey stuff. And now it's going to get gritty. It's going to get tough. It's going to get, all right, I'm going to show you some tough love, y'all, kind of a deal. He's addressing the family of God. He's not talking to the unbeliever. He's not talking to the people that are foreign to the faith. He's talking to the church. This is a message coming from a pastor's heart directly to the church in Thessalonica, who happens to be a part of a bigger culture. A culture that is wrought in sin, a culture that is caught up in the ways of of sin and the ways of the world, a culture that is being easily influenced by other cultures around them. And Paul has his arduous task of speaking life into this church and saying, you guys are different from the rest. 
So he addresses the family of God and he says, finally then, brothers, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do more and more. No, he says, brothers in the Lord. He says, I'm talking to you guys, my kids. Right? Uh, my kids are already, and the, the easy way to just, you know, explain this We'll be talking about my kids. My kids are a part of my family. They are my kids. But that does not stop me from edifying them day after day. It doesn't stop me from reminding them over and over again that they have to behave a certain way, that they have to be disciplined a certain way. It, 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 there's not a day that goes by that I don't remind my daughters that I love them Right? There are times that you would give them a peck on their lips and let them know that they're loved. You squeeze them so tight. There are words of affirmation that you give to them. They know that you love them and, and you know that they love you because there is that exchange of words. Right? And that's a child's transaction. It's a transaction between a parent and a child. In the same way, he's basically saying, guys, y- y'all, are my, y'all are my brothers, we're a part of the same family, but that doesn't make us devoid of instruction. It doesn't make us devoid of me having to remind us over and over again that there is a certain order, there is a certain expectation that God Almighty expects from us. There's a different standard altogether. Someone say standard. The reason he's writing this letter He's saying, he's, he's looking at them and saying, man, there's one reason that I'm giving you, and that's that we are called to please God. Do you know, church, that we have a choice every single day to either live to please God or live not to please God? I pray that we will be children of God that pursue God in wanting to please Him. And in a few seconds, I'll tell you why. Because to please God is to walk with Him. To walk with God is to please Him. They go hand in hand. If you study the scriptures in Genesis chapter number 5, we learn about this man called Enoch. The Bible says, and Enoch walked with God 300 years. The word walked over there is the literal translation, which means well-pleasing to God. This man Enoch was so well-pleasing to God. God was so well-pleased with him. There's something about you having a connection with God or connection with somebody that they look at you and say, man, I love this person. This is a person that's close to my heart. This is a person that I admire. This is a person that I embrace. It's a person that I love. This is a person that that, that I approve of. In other words, God put his approval stamp on these people I'm about to talk about. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, Noah, the Bible says he was a righteous man blameless in his time and the bible says noah walked with god and the word walked over there is the word well pleasing to god god was so well pleased with who he was how he carried himself my question today to you today is is god pleased by you do you know if god has given you his seal of approval this morning It's so important for us to remind ourselves of that this morning, right? In Genesis 17, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me. The word walk before me is that word well-pleasing before me, right? And, And be blameless is what God tells Abram. You remember when Jesus was acknowledged by his father, he looks at him and says, this is my son with which, with who I am, what? Well pleased. The sign of approval, the stamp of approval. 
Walking with God means to please God. Back in the day, kings, when they would walk, they would have an entourage that walks with them. They would make sure that not one person that walked with them were people that they didn't approve of. They were only people that agreed with them. They were only people that they liked. They were only people, they would never allow enemies. They would never allow people that formed dissensions to walk with them. Kings always wanted people that they liked, they, they appointed, they, that were under them, they took instruction from them, that they were well pleased with. His close group, his cabinet were the only ones that had immediate access to him. You remember the day when Esther walks up to the king? The, the, the Bible is very clear that I don't want to go very, very deep into that. But Esther had to get a seal of approval to be in the presence of the king. Even though he, she was his wife. Are you understanding? This is just back in the day. I could get into it, but I'm not for the sake of time. But there was this approval process. And God is looking at people. When he looks around, he's looking at people that just live for God. That have a heart for God. That God says, man, I want to give you my seal of approval. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to walk with me. I want to talk with you. I want to have conversation with you. We want to be one in, 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 in the Lord. And, and God is looking for people like that. The most trusted people, so to speak. And Paul is looking at them and saying, man, we haven't arrived as yet. We're the children of God. We're brothers, but we haven't arrived as yet. And he says, there's so much more to do. That literally reads that you may be abounding in more. It means to exist in superfluity. That's what it means. It's not enough to exist as a Christian. We must move towards excellence. It's not enough to say, I've had the salvation experience. But in a few moments, you'll understand that Paul is pushing the Christian to not just live in that experience of salvation, but he says, work out your salvation. Do things every single day that point other people around you to Jesus through what you do. Even though you have nothing to do to prove your salvation, even though you have to do nothing to gain your salvation, God's looking at each one of us and saying, it is there's a duty associated with a free gift that I offer in the terms of salvation, and that's this thing called sanctification. In a few seconds, we're going to understand that. But it's not enough to exist as a Christian. We must move towards excellence. It's one thing to park ourselves in the Christian life, but it's another thing to prevail in it, to thrive in it. And my question is, how many of us are thriving believers and Christians in this place? How many of us go to a spouse's, what, the, the time we get married, we look at them and say, man, I love you. At the time we're dating, we're like, I love you. And that's the last time you ever said, I love you. It's not, that's not going to fly, right? You remind your, if, if you go three days without telling your spouse, I love you, they're going to come up to you and say, something wrong? We're, we, we good? Everything okay? Right? They're, they're, they're going to say something's wrong. But you don't do it out of duty. You do it out of because that's who you are. That, that's, that's the product of relationship. You, you express love to one another. It's, it's the same way with your children, right? It's, it's something that comes naturally. It's, it's that one I love you does not make up for the rest of your life. It's something that's ongoing. This brings us to the next verse. In, chapter, in verse number three, the Bible says this, for this is the will of God. Paul starts using a theological term here that we will learn. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Someone says sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. The Bible says, this is the will of God that you are sanctified. That you remain in sanctification. What is this? We're going to talk about this just for a second. right? Here's, I'm going to give you a fair warning this morning. Some of y'all are going to be super uncomfortable. Some of you are going to be stiff in your seats and y'all are not going to move today. Because here's my deal. 
It was uncomfortable for me to prepare this message this morning. It was uncomfortable for me to stand up. It took a lot of prayer for me to stand where I am today. In fact, this morning, I messaged some of our, our, our parents that had teenagers, that, and we, we love for our teenagers to sit in service with us because we want them to hear the word. I messaged some of our parents with teenagers and said, fair warning, I want to let you know that I'm going to talk about some hard-hitting stuff, and I'm not going to hold back, so just a fair warning, but I would love for your son or daughter to be there. So everybody else, this might make you feel uncomfortable, but I'm not saying it. Paul is. I'm, I'm going to pass the blame to Paul, right? I'm, but but no, no blame passing. This is from God himself. This is spirit breathed. So, so better brace yourself. Put your seatbelt on, right? It's going to get turbulent in here. It's going to rock your world in here. And you're going to hear things that it's probably going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. But it's okay. Because what is sanctification? Sanctification literally means separation. Someone say Separation. The, the meaning of the word is hagios. It, it means holy, to set apart from something or other things. Dr. Charity was here last week, and she said, man, I don't even know if I can say these things because I don't know you that well. Well, I know you pretty well, so I'm free to say these things, right? I know in some churches, some pastors are like, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to tell them that the pretty stuff, the rosy stuff, the good stuff that's going to make them come back next week. But I'm sorry, you signed up for the wrong pastor because I ain't like that. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach the word as it is. The Bible says sanctification means to be set apart from something, to cleave on to something else. That's literally what it means. It means to be set apart from sin, to, be, to cleave on to God, right? Sanctification is a result of salvation or a new life in Jesus Christ. The moment you accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, you are making a decision to allow God to change you from the inside out. We celebrated baptisms a few weeks ago when those people decided to get baptized to tell the whole world that they follow Jesus. Man, they made a decision away with the old and I am embracing the new. I am getting ready for the new. Sanctification is a result of salvation. It is you being made new. But it doesn't stop there. The gift that's given to you, God says now you have to take care of it. Parents know what you're talking about, what, 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 what I'm talking about or what I'm about to say. But when you give a gift that's expensive to your kids, what do you do? You tell them to take care of the gift. Or if they're too young to understand, you only give them a, 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 what do you call it, the Amazon tablet that's like wrapped in like five layers of like soft foam and you just throw it against anything and they're like, it doesn't matter, we'll replace it. And they know that you're never going to replace it because they've like packed it up real good. But you don't give something to somebody and, and just be like, here you go. There's value attached to it. If you give your teenager something, every time my dad gave me something, he's like, you better take care of it. Or I'm never going to buy that thing ever again for you. If you break it, if you misplace it, if you lose it, never gonna, there's always responsibility. And there's a responsibility that comes with, with, with sanctification. The Bible talks about sanctification as the working out of salvation, putting your salvation to work. But here's the thing. We can only work out what we have and how much of it we have. You can only lift weights that your body can handle. What you work out or, or, or what you work, right? Or what you put on you or what you take on you will, will define how strong you become or, or how much you grow. Working out is hard. I'm pretty sure everyone attests with that. It's painful. 
I've tried in the past. <laughs> it's sacrificial. It's time-consuming. It's intentional. But good things come to those who, no, sweat. <laughs> it's an understood thing, y'all. The pain you feel today is directly proportional to the strength you will feel tomorrow. It's not just me, right? On those, on, this is back when I used to exercise, but aren't there those days that you didn't feel like working out and you ended up doing it anyways? Like you didn't want to get on that elliptical or you didn't want to get on that, on that treadmill and you were so hesitant to go take those clothes off the treadmill and get on it and actually like pull the plug off and switch it on. But once you got on it and you had 30 minutes on there, you got off and you're like, I feel like a million bucks. You get off like Rocky. I got this. I'm, I'm about to conquer the whole world. Haven't you been there? Sometimes you don't want to do it, but, 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 but you put yourself through that. You, you, you take that effort, right? Work out your salvation. Build on what God has given you. You have a duty every single day to work out this gift of salvation. Are you doing that on a, on a regular basis? And for salvation, God's looking at you and me and saying, you got to push yourself because no one's going to do it for you. Work out your own salvation. That's what the Bible says, right? When God pulled us out of sin and and shame into his marvelous light, he put you in a place of authority. He put you in a place of blessing. He put you in a place of honor. He put you in a place where he looked at you and said, I want you to thrive. But it's in a place that you have to look at and say, man, God requires me to do this and this and this and this to make sure that I work out my salvation. You're only going to gain as much strength as you work out, as you lift. The the more strength you, you take on, the more weight you take on, the more strength you put on. But chapter, uh, verse number three, it doesn't stop there. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from what? Sexual immorality. This is where it's going to get tricky, church. He says, abstain from sexual immorality. There's, there's a way you used to handle sex, is what Paul is saying, right? I don't want you to handle it that way, is what Paul is trying to say. There's a way that you understood sex, but that's not the way I want you to understand it. There's the way the non-Christian had a perception about sex, but that's not the way the Christian understands sex. It's the way that Paul is trying to put this. Of course it's hard. Of course it's hard to abstain from anything. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Hard is what makes it great. Sexual immorality, what is that? In the Greek, the word used over there is this word pornea. If you're taking notes, it's going to come up on the screen. The literal word used over there is the word pornea. Now, guess where we get that? What word comes out of that word? The word porn. To, the, the, the meaning of that word was to traffic with harlots. In the ancient world, it meant sex outside of marriage. Anything outside of the confines of marriage was considered pornea, which meant sexual immorality. And the Bible very clearly says sexual immorality is idolatry. Well, the Bible only condone, condemns adultery, and that's for married people, is what single people will say. No, 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 no. This word, pornea, when you start thinking about it, start breaking it up, it applies to every person, no matter who you are. If you are seated in this room, married, unmarried, single, it does not matter. It applies to each one of us. 
Can I make some, some, some underlying statements before we proceed? I want to make some underlying statements as the Bible describes this. I want to remind us as a church, sex is a gift from God and to be enjoyed in marriage. Sexual purity is an expression of worship to God. The world addresses intimacy more than the church does and that's where the whole problem begins. That's where a lot of these issues begin is where we allow the world to teach our kids. We allow the world to teach our kids because for us, we rather hold down to taboos and we rather not address things rather than to head on address these things and that's the church included. Here's what I believe in. You want to hear what I believe in? I believe that we shouldn't be fearful about speaking about the topic of human sexuality from a biblical perspective because it is important to God. It's important that God wants us and our children and our children's children to understand and redefine our idea of biblical purity when it comes to sex so that we will not be infiltrated by the ways of the world and influenced by the ways of the world. Because if the church doesn't talk about these things, we leave it open for the world to define. If I don't talk about these things, they will find some of the speakers somewhere to tell them that it's okay, and this is fine, and this is fine, and this lifestyle is fine, and this feeling is fine, it's normal, normal, no, everything is normal, and everything's okay, and if they're doing it, we're doing it, and, church, and schools will hand out stuff that they shouldn't be handing out, because we are not doing what we should do as the body of Christ. You know, when we study the word of God, we find that sex is beautiful. Sex is beautiful in the confines of marriage. Just as fire is beautiful in the fireplace. Anything outside of that, if fire gets in your living room, you're not going to like it much, do you? On a cold winter day, you're going to sit back on your couch and you're like, oh, wow, beautiful fireplace. And we live in those t- in the t- modern times where all we have to do is hit a switch and the fire just comes on and we have fake fire and, and pitcher fire and whatever it is. And y'all feel warm as soon as a pitcher comes on, whatever it is. But... I'm I'm digressing. But here's the thing. Fire in your living room and your dining room will burn your house down. But if it's in the confines of where it should be, fire is a beautiful thing. Fire is a warming thing. That's exactly how God defined this beautiful institution called sex that was only supposed to be in the confines of the comfort and the sanctity of what we call marriage. See, sex is a taboo because we're allowing the world to define it for our kids. But we're allowing the world to define for our kids what they didn't make. Can I say that again? We're allowing the the world to define something that they didn't create. God created sex. He defined it. He said it is between one man and one woman. If y'all didn't hear that, I'm going to say that again. It's between one man and one woman, and that's called marriage. It's beautiful. It's, it's pure. It's precious. It's wonderful. It's great. But the problem is that we don't define it the way we should, and when we don't, the world steps in and says, well, it's up for debate. But hey, so-and-so didn't tell me what is, what is right or what's wrong, so let's hear what the world has to say. And if they're it's up for debate in their courtroom, maybe there's something right about it. Maybe if it's accepted on the television screen and it's okay on Netflix and if it's okay on primetime television and it's okay on all these shows that we listen to and what dad and mom is listening to, maybe it's okay. 
But God created sex. He defined it. Sex was God's idea. He, he looked at Adam and Eve and he said, what did he say to them initially? He said, anybody? Y'all are stiff. Y'all are so cold. Do I have y'all? Have I lost y'all? Thank you, Justina. See, I got to get an unmarried person to scream up what God... It shows me these unmarried people are ready for this, man. They're ready for marriage. We've got to pray for them. To get married, I mean. Just kidding. But here's the thing. He said, go be fruitful. and multiply. He wasn't talking about strawberries and blueberries. He wasn't talking about Christian. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about what? He says, go be fruitful and multiply. When we express this, that was the first commandment. It wasn't go pray. It wasn't go fast. It wasn't come to church. It was go fruitful, be fruitful and multiply. When we express this God-given gift in a God-prescribed and approved manner, it's considered worship to God. I'm going to repeat that. When we express this God-given gift in a God-prescribed and approved manner, it's considered worship to God. Do you know that there's a stat that says 80% of all people under the age of 18 are exposed to some kind of sexual image? That would be a friend. It could be through a friend. It could be through social media, Snapchat, YouTube. It could be television, Netflix, whatever it is. In some way or the other, they were exposed. That means 80% of people sitting in this room. Growing up, man, we didn't even talk about it in church. I can't remember one message that, that was preached that said, man, this is, yeah, we're, we're talking about sexual immorality. This Sunday's message is about sex. No, no, no. It was anointing and power and the grace of God and fire from heaven and speaking in tongues, which is great, which is needed and which has its place. But man, if we don't talk about the Bible, if I, if I say we're studying chapter number three and chapter number four, we say, guys, we're... we're it's like a sensitive subject, so we're going to skip the eight verses, and we're going to begin in verse number nine. Does that even make any sense? We're a Bible-based church, which means I have committed to the Lord when I said I'll be a pastor of Commission Church to say, I'm going to preach the word, Lord. And that's what we're going to do, right? We're going to do that because, because here's the thing. Growing up, it wasn't spoken about. I can't, I can't remember one message that was preached to us teenagers, right? I was talking to this, this guy the other day, and he said the only thing that they told him when he was a teenager was, don't have sex. That's, it's bad. It's wrong. But guess what happens when you tell a teenager not to do something? Ta-da! Yup, they do it. You didn't tell them that that there's a God. You didn't tell them that there's something about holiness and you didn't tell them about sanctification and living in Christ Jesus and what Jesus requires of you and I as a temple of the living God and our bodies being the... T- it's, it's so important, parents, that we have conversations and, and us as a church have conversations because it's important. In verse number four, it goes on to say this, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, I want to, I want to make something clear. If you, if, you, if, you, if you actually listen to everything he's talking about, he's actually talking about his and brothers and brother and, 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 and him and you know, all the, the male pronouns is what's going to be used over here. But he's talking to the church. Women, y'all don't have a hall pass over here. Right? Chapter 4 is for everybody here. But I'll talk to you in a second about why he talks to, the, talks to the men. But Because here it says to control his own body in holiness and in honor. The Bible uses that word control. Someone say control. 
Paul says control your body. In some translations, and you probably have a translation open, that will, that will show you the word vessel that's used. Control your vessels instead of body. And, and vessel does not talk about women. There is a verse in the Bible that says women are the weaker vessel, but it has nothing to do, if you look at the original translations, it has nothing to do with the word that's used over here. He's talking about our body. He's talking about our body being a tool. Paul is not shaming sex. He's not glorifying it. He's not degrading it. He's saying treat it with holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust is what he's saying. He's making a differentiation and saying this is what the believer does and this is what the unbeliever does. The passion for lust is what drives the unbeliever. And then there's this holiness aspect and this honor aspect that is connected to the believer. What does that mean? Pay attention to those two phrases that Paul is using. He says, act in holiness. Someone say holiness. He says, act in holiness unlike the Gentile who doesn't know God. Am I talking to somebody? And then he says, act in honor, not in passionate lust. Two amazing points if you ask me because there's this vertical and horizontal line that, that Paul draws. Think about an intersection. He's drawing these two Two lines, one is vertical and one is horizontal, right? This, this vertical line is this line of holiness. It's this line between you and God, this line of holiness. And then he draws this, this parallel, he draws this, this other line, this intersecting, intersecting line, which is the horizontal line, which is honor. Oh, holiness is between you and God, and honor is between you and other people. Holiness is godly relationship. Honor is what we do with other people. If I honor you, I respect you as a person. If I respect you, I want the best for you. I don't have any evil agendas. I don't have any hidden agendas. The opposite of honor is passionate lust. The opposite of me honoring somebody is me lusting after some, somebody because I want something from them, not necessarily because I want a relationship with them. I hope that y'all are catching on to this because this is so, so, so important. Because the opposite of honor is passionate lust. I want to use you to gratify myself. One is self-donation. The other one is selfish thinking. And my question this morning is, what are we communicating through our, sexual, through our sexuality? Am I communicating, I really don't care about your thoughts or feelings. I just want to use your body, whether physically or, 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 or a thought or a screen or a visual image. I want to use you to gratify me because that seems like dishonor. Because that relationship, that horizontal line that he's drawing, I'm dishonoring that in every aspect. Because God is not just saying, I need a personal relationship, holiness with me. But he's saying honor with other people. If that is taken out of the equation, you can't just honor God. or You just can't respect God. Honor to other people is also important and sexual immorality. In verse number six, it says this, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Paul says, man, if you do this, you're gonna transgress and wrong your brother or sister in this matter. What does that mean? The word transgress, write it down, it means trespass. The word transgress, it means trespass. And the word wrong means to take advantage. You trespass when you enter what doesn't rightfully belong to you. 
Very simple. It's not rocket science. It's not deep, profound theology. And what does that mean? If you are using a woman sexually, but not caring about her heart or committing to her, you are not honoring her. Simple, plain, period. That's it. She has a father. She has a brother. She's a daughter. And maybe one day she's going to marry a man and you are violating all those relationships. Every one of them. It doesn't matter if it's an actual person or a person that you look at in a magazine or on Facebook or on a screen. It doesn't matter. It is what it is. It's called sexual immorality. Can I hear an amen? There's no other term defined or put set aside for that. It all falls under the same category. And I want to urge some people this morning. This is the heartbeat of heaven. This is the cry of God. God's like, man, I want to have intimacy with you. But if all of this stuff is what takes space and real estate in your heart and in your life and in your mind, there's not much I can do in your life. And God's like, there are some things that we just need to make decisions to get rid of. He says, brothers, so what about women, right? Like I said earlier, does this not apply to women? Man, you have to look at the context here. This is Rome. This is Rome where women were expected to have fidelity. All right? This may shock you, but they were expected to have fidelity. Men, on the other hand, they were not. They could have wives. They could have concubines. They could sleep around with prostitutes. They could do whatever they wanted. And Paul was pressing on this and supporting women, in fact, and saying respect and honor women. The horizontal line. Hold that as much as you hold on to God. People of God treat people around you like they were created in the image and the likeness of God. But you know what history shows? History shows that Rome abandoned this ethic and becomes a Christian nation. Because somewhere along the line, they were like, man, this is not working for us. We like the Christian values of ethics and morals and that they embrace and respect and love and because that's what the Bible teaches and they're like, we need more of this. And the moment that happens, it's amazing how the landscape, and that's a different study altogether. It's crazy how all of this completely changes. But this boils down back to the fact that God does not separate intimacy and commitment. Both of them go hand in hand. That is the problem with our societies that we have convoluted the, the identity of sex, that intimacy and commitment have been taken apart. Where society will tell you, where culture will tell you that it's okay to have intimacy without commitment. That's perfectly fine. Because that's what everyone else is doing. That's exactly what Rome said. Until one day they said, you know what, this is not working for us. Where the, where the nation was going down and they said, but for God. I believe in my heart that America is going to come to that point. And I pray that we as, as a church, as a people, we don't become a part of the culture, but we are apart from the culture because that's what sanctification is. You know, in the Old Testament, God says, I love you, so I'm making a covenant with you. You know, Jesus loved us, so he gave his life for us. Love expresses itself in commitment. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest today. I'm going to lay this in front of you and I'm going to say there's somebody that's probably playing games today that needs to probably make a commitment this morning. John, if you want to come up real quick. Passionate lust is about using people. Relationship with God requires commitment. Otherwise, you're using God. I don't know what you're using him for, but you're using God. 
It's not a transactional thing. It's, it's not that God is doing something back for you. It's a one-way thing. You think you're doing, but it's, there's, there's not really a spiritual transaction. It's not an intimate transaction that happens. Because here's the thing, right? For a relationship to happen, it needs to have commitment. It doesn't matter. If you're dating a woman and then you get married to her, or if like my dad said, my dad had an arranged marriage. He said, I walked into your mom's home. I met her for five minutes. As soon as she walked into the room, I saw her hair and I knew I wanted to marry her. I was like, whoa. Time might have been easy. Cool beans. I was like, dad, that's awesome. Happily married. They're still married. They love each other. Can't do without each other. I'm like, man, I, I can never look at a woman's hair and be like, I love you. That's crazy. You know what I'm saying, Chris? Like, that's insane. But here's, here's my thing is, is no matter how it works, it can be my parents or me having to have a relationship with somebody. Intimacy does not happen without what? Relationship. I'm going to make a statement and I want you to write this down, ink it in your head, ink it in your heart. Okay? Here's a statement. Intimacy without relationship is called a one night stand. I'm sorry, I'm being very crass. Intimacy without relationship is called a one-night stand. And unfortunately, we have so many charlatans in the church. On a Sunday morning, you want worship and you want Jesus. And you expect God to move in your life and do some amazing things. But God's like, man, you're not pursuing me. You're not wanting relationship. You just want this you, you, you want to eat the buffet of the world Monday through Saturday and Sunday you want some dessert so you come to church and like Jesus just kind of like make sure everything's going to be okay Ice, icing on the cake y'all okay? you still hate me? or you, you still like me? verse 7 for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness is that good? He said, but God has called us, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, so, so that literally reads this, for God has called us in holiness, not in impurity. You know what, that, let, let me break that down for you. When God called us and we responded, where do we walk to? Into holiness. So Paul is essentially drawing that line and saying, when you made that decision to follow Jesus, when you took that jacket of sanctification, you took it on, and you walked into his holiness and you have a duty to either stay there or take that jacket off and walk out every single time and the sad part is this sometimes the awe of the world is more good more pleasing more powerful more magnetizing than the presence of the almighty, powerful God that says, I love you, I want you. Adam and Eve were created in holiness. In the Garden of Eden, they were created in holiness. When you and I accept Jesus as our Savior, when we are, when we are given that gift of sanctification, we are in that Garden of Holiness. And we intentionally say, but that fruit looks good. And that tree looks good. And that looks that up that and no matter how much this is holding on to us we make willful choices to step away from it 
And guess what happens? Every single time we sin and fall, we know that happened. And, and Adam and Eve hides behind a tree. Like that was going to do them something. And God calls them. Remember that day God comes up to them and said, Adam and Eve, the question he asks is, where are you? Was it because God didn't know where they were? No. God knew exactly where they were. But the question wasn't a, I don't know your location. My iPhone's not showing where you are. It's more of a, I know exactly where you are, but this is where you ought to be. You're not here. You are outside of here. Am I talking to somebody? This is... And Paul reminds us and tells us that for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. You're calling. God has called you. He has called you by name. He has given you an identity. When you said, Jesus, come into my heart, he called you by name and said, this is where you belong. But every single day we make that choice to step away. But he waits patiently for us to come back to him. And the message of grace is that no matter how much you walk away. See, that's the relationship about God that I never can comprehend. That if a husband and a wife in a relationship and one cheats on the other and, and, and tries to come back, there may or may not be forgiveness, but many of the times we see there's not forgiveness and there's, there's divorce, but I put that in the context of God and, and Him being the, the bridegroom and I being the, the bride and every single time I break my vow of fidelity and I walk away. He still stays faithful. In this case, it's not the groom that, that, that needs to be spoken to. It's the bride that needs that nudge and that push saying, come back, come back. And he stays and he waits and he says, it's okay, he's gonna come back, she's gonna come back. And he gives us another turn. Therefore, verse number eight, whoever disregards this, uh, disregards let's start over therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you that's it's I can't I can't explain it more than that whoever disregards this ignores this puts it away says this is not for me it says he disregards not man but God who gives, what does the Holy Spirit do? He guides you, he leads you, he's the voice of reason, he compels you. The reason why many of us are not led is because we disregard. I pray that we will come back to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the only way you and I can come back to the leading of the Holy Spirit is when you and I are fully in submission to him. Would you stand up to your feet with me, church? Worship team, would you come up and... basketball goal I have a basketball goal in my front yard and it's one of those portable ones where you can fill water in it a few months ago I ran my car tire over it busted all the water came out somebody brought over some sandbags and put it on there and worked it was, it was great it was a weight that we needed until a few months after that we slowly started seeing tears in the sandbag and the weather got the better of it, and the sand came out of the sandbags, and it was everywhere. Now we have a sand pit. Our daughters love the sand pit. 
Every single time the door opens, no matter if they just took a bath, yesterday I gave them a bath, they were fresh, they had put a flower on their hair, and they were smelling good, and the first thing that they did, as soon as we did that, was run to the sand pit, say, Dada! I groomed you, I I put you in the house, I protected you, I, I gave you a bath, but the sand pit is more pleasing to you. Then this beauty of this house and clean clothes and, and clean hair and good smelling skin, that sandpit for them is more. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy, but that's, that's you and me. No matter how much the sanctification works, the sandpit calls your name more louder than any cologne that God can put on you. You know why? Because we take it for granted. Because they know that I can give them another bath. I may scream at them. I may be like, how dare you do it? But they know that in my loving nature, I will give them another. I will tend to them again. Sanctification is the position of holiness, but don't lose that position. Work to stay on track. Why work? Because of this. 1 Corinthians 6 says this. In, in verse number 9, you... You, do you know, do you not know that the unrighteousness will not, inher- the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters. Oh, I'm not sexually immoral. I'm not idolaters. I'm not, I, I don't worship idols. I, I'm, I'm not an adulterer. Nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy. Oh, some of us fall in that category. You don't share your fries. Okay. Nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. All of us were there. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We all are immoral in some way or the other. Can I hear an amen? And we all are in desperate need of Jesus. And our eyes open to the fact that His holiness is what is more beautiful than whatever is on the outside. You know what David, he sins, he walks away from God. And I can't but say this, he says, he walks away from God, he sins. He says, Lord, there's one desire that I have is that I will always be in the presence of the Lord forever. Because here's the thing, a fish out of water knows what it is to struggle for breath and air. A man or a woman who has been in the presence of God and experience the goodness of God knows what it is to be outside in the world naked and ashamed you will crave and be in desperate need to go back into the presence of God but some of us are like man I don't know pastor I've drifted I've come a long way this, I don't know if I can do this I, I know that I need to be committed and I probably lost my purity a long time ago and I've sinned I've, I've given away my purity to somebody or, or this is too late for me I wish I heard this five years ago here's the thing if you feel like your problems are bigger than what God can forgive stop serving him like stop coming to church why do what you're doing if you feel like your problems are huge and big and God is not big enough why worship him 
the reason you worship somebody is because you think he's able and you, you think he's powerful and you think, and, and he's on the throne and he knows what you're going through and he knows your past, he knows your present and there's nothing that he cannot forgive this morning because I don't want you to have a bigger God than him. I, wa- I don't want you to have a God of self-reliance. God is asking some of y'all today, if you think that I can raise a dead body but I cannot manage a living one, who do you think I am? He's able, church. He's able. As I ask the worship team to just lead us in a couple of minutes of worship, I want to position our hearts this morning. I'm glad that I didn't have stiff people in church today. They were frozen and were like, "Uh uh-oh, he's talking about sex. Today I pray that we can submit ourselves. We can give ourselves to the Lord. You know, I'm going to read one more verse, and this is what the Bible says in Romans 6.13. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of the Lord. Your body can be used as an instrument. That's what the Bible says. An instrument is a tool. A tool can build or it can break. A hammer can can fasten something or it can demolish something. A wrench can tighten something or loosen something. And he says... Use your body, which is a tool, not to serve sin. You have that choice that you make every day. Use it for the glory of God. Young people that are listening to me, unmarried folk, married folk. Some of y'all are probably like, oh, I'm married, I'm good. No, 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 you're not. This applies to you in your marriage. The vow of fidelity that we have made to our wives, the, the vow of fidelity that we've made to our husbands. Hold on to it for dear life because that is something that you made, a covenant that you made between God. And say, God, no matter what happens, my whole body, that means my eyes, my scrolling thumbs, my double taps, my texting fingers, my heart, my legs, my passions, all of that. All those instruments. Come on, somebody. Can I hear an amen? I give to the Lord. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.